You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. Where you are, let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for this time of worship, God. I'm thankful that the songs that we have, God, remind us, God, that you're in control, God. It's because of you that we're all here. And God, I pray, God, as, as we've heard these songs of worship, God's telling us, God, that, God, as your wind blows, so will I, God. As, as, you, um, as you've made it so, so will we follow. God, we talk about this idea of authority. God, I pray that you would um, be in the midst of us, God, that our hearts would be softened, that ultimately, God, we would, um, we would um, bend ourselves to your will, not our own. And God, I pray that you would um, bless the person, me, God, who is here right now, God, to communicate your message, God. May it be communicated with, with fervor, with confidence, and God, ultimately, um, with grace. From Jesus, amen. Amen, if you would, stay, stay remain standing, and um, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're still in our Mark series, and we're coming, and we're coming towards the end of chapter 11. Um, today we'll be exploring... Mark chapter 11, we're going to start at um, verses, um, verse 27. We're going to go into verse 12, but for the sake of our reading and context, we're going to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we're going to stick with um, 1127 to the end of um, chapter 11. So when you have Mark 11, say amen. 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 So let's go ahead and read that, and then we're going to, and then we're going to dive in, guys. Um, here's what it says, Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 27. Here's what it says. They came again to Jerusalem, and they, meaning the scribes, the chief, chief priests, um, the Pharisees, I mean the Jewish leaders, um, and they came in again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking to the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask, I will ask you one question, and you will answer me. And then I will tell you what the, what the authority I do these things. Verse 30 says this, and Jesus says, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from, from men? Answer me. Verse 31 says, They begin reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why do we not believe him? But we, sh- but, but we shall say from men. They will then mean because they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, bless the hearers and the readers, and most of all, God, those who hear your word and go out and actively do what you tell us to do. God, bless this time that we have in your message. In Jesus, amen. Amen. So today's message, once again, is about authority. In fact, the title of this message is actually The Demands of Authority. The Demands of Authority. You know, authority is one of these concepts um, known to, to, to some degree by every responsible, um, irresponsible person. But I believe that our, but, I mean, there's many who appreciate it for we know that without society, you know, we'd, we'd have chaos. But I believe that our society has a problem with authority. We've seen authority be used to, to oppress, overstep bounds, to mishandle, to misappropriate things. And because of that, people question authority. Others just hate authority and refuse to live by it. But authority is a major biblical thing. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, 
the word that we're going to be using in the context of this verse is exousia. Everyone say exousia. Exousia. This word specifically means or talks about from a legal, from a um, authority, from a legal standpoint. In fact, it's more of a the rightful, actual, unimpeded power to act. All right. The rightful, actual, unimpeded power to act. Whereas the Greek word that we use for the word dynamis, as in like Acts chapter one, verse eight, where he says that you shall receive power. This is talk, that's talking about physical power. This is talking more about influence. All right. So just make sure we have the context of what we mean by authority. And so this word is used to put the stress on the idea that either there's a rightness of power really held or the reality of rightful power possessed. Not only that, authority itself is attributed to the nature of God. It's who he is. Authority alludes to God, I mean, to, I mean alludes to a God whose right to command and enforce obedience. And this brings us to today's scriptures. Today's scriptures being about the authority of Jesus Christ. In last week's sermon, you talked about, we talked about the idea that Jesus was in the temple and he was, he was um, driving the money changers out of the temple. Well, in the midst of doing this, um, he causes an uproar. The uproar is caused with the, with, the, with the Jewish leaders and officials because Jesus is in there upsetting business. He's affecting the bottom line. He's, he's costing people money now. And so now everybody's invested. And more specifically, if you notice in verse 27, it mentions three groups. It mentions the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. All these people mentioned in this story all have all have some gripe with Jesus, right? But now remember that Jesus drove the people out of the temple for one specific reason. He said that, and keep in mind, he, he says this. He says, my, help, I mean, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, not a den of thieves. So when Jesus does this, he does this rightly. But now, of course, Jesus, for what, who he was and what he did, although he was doing the right thing, he was, popular among the, he was a popular figure among the people. However, once again, the three, these three groups of, of Jewish leaders did not see him well, right? Now, here's the thing. They band together. I want you to think about this. Think about three groups of people who hate each other. Three groups of people that hate each other. All right, they would never sit and have a cup of coffee together. They would never, ever try to worship together. In fact, they may worship together, but they may do it, um, they may do it with some type of um, harboring some type of anger in their heart, right? But imagine if all these three groups get together and say, you know what? Now, I was cool until they started affecting my bottom line, and I can't be able to do what I want to do in the temple, because that's what Jesus was doing. And they decided to band together and, form a, and basically form a coalition. And they said, the point of the coalition is to end this Jesus thing, all right? That's the whole point is to end this Jesus thing, all right? And so they go through this, so they go through this process of thinking about how can we do this? Because Jesus is this really popular public figure. So we can't just go out in the street and, and confront him because the crowds would probably do something to us. Well, then they figured as they gather together, this, this evil coalition, so to speak, they get together, they formulate a plan, and they decide, you know what? When he goes to the temple, let's ask him a tough question, right? And so they decide to go to the temple and ask him a tough question. But little did they know that the question that they were asking was actually going to reveal more about them than it did about Jesus. You see, you see here's the thing. As people... Even though Jesus is, when Jesus, when Jesus answers them, he gives them a very stern warning through, through the verses that we're reading. 
But now, as people created, created by God, we must recognize that despite our great ambitions, despite what we, we see ourselves doing, we still are bound to answer, uh, we're still bound to answer to the ultimate authority, which is God. Not only that, but God wants us to respond in such a way that is consistent with his authority. God wants us to respond in such a way that is to, to respond to his authority with a certain character because his position demands it. So what I want to do right now is I want to explore the demands of authority. As we looked in verse 20, as we looked, as we were already reading in verse 27, and we see that where Jesus has already drove him out the temple, and they come to the point where they confront him in the temple. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, he says, and Jesus said to them, well, first of all, they asked the question in verse 28. They says, by what authority you are doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do these things? Well, then Jesus, Jesus um, answers back to, he counteracts that question, right? And he says that when Jesus, um, when Jesus catches this question, he knew that their hearts were not in the right place. They assured that they were, they were, they were assured that they thought that they had the higher authority for who they were as religious and political leaders. But as they begin to debate with the question, Jesus takes their question, turns it backwards, and in their question, Jesus makes them subject to him instead of the other way around. And I believe this is one of the ways that Jesus subtly turns the tables that enforce that God demands, the first thing we need to know that authority demands our obedience. Authority demands our obedience. Again, Jesus cleansed the temple out for the given, out of the given authority and obedience of the God the Father and his, picture, and his picture of what the temple was meant to be, a house of prayer for all nations. He was simply being obedient to God and what, and what God's word said. All right, but it's the fact that the chief priests, when they heard about this, they decided that they would, all right, let's try this again, guys. How about that? I'm gonna step away from the podium for my notes. I don't wanna be a slave to my notes. Let's just go. Is that okay, guys? All right, so, all right, so Jesus is talking to these, to these chief priests, these Pharisees and these scribes, right? And they think to themselves, you know what? We have the right to ask him what to do because we have the authority. Well, Jesus' question tells them, basically, Jesus flips it, on their, flips, them, I mean, flips it around on them and tells them, hey, no, no, you tell me what you're doing, okay? You answer me. And so what he's doing is establishing that, listen, they should be obedient people, all right? Here's why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing this up because when, when God looks at us, when God asks to be the authority in our life, he's asking us to be obedient to him, Amen. Now, here's the other thing. When, we, when we're obedient to God, we can't be in a position where we to figure out what type of obedience we should have. God tells us what obedience should look like. And see, here's the thing. The problem with it is this. They were trying to establish authority over Jesus by asking him by what authority he comes. But what Jesus was also trying to establish that, listen, you're trying to, you're trying to flip this thing and, and make yourself the authority when you haven't been obedient to God's word. How do I know that? You see, the chief priests, all, once again, I told you there was a coalition of evil essentially coming afoot who was trying to, subst trying to subtly overthrow Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Number one, you have the chief priests. The chief priests were the officials who were basically the, the religious leaders of the day. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what they were looking for 
was they were leading the church, but they were leading the church astray. How do I know that? They had fraudulent economic practice. And so here's the thing. If Jesus turns, them on, turns the table on them, now they have to answer and be obedient to God, assuming that they were trying to do that. But they weren't. So Jesus is establishing, now listen, you haven't been obedient to God's word, and I'm the one who's in control of this thing, so you need to listen to me. Secondly, you see the scribes. The, the scribes were like the intellectuals of the day. Well, the, the intellectuals were upset because Jesus, although they were very smart and they had a lot of good thoughts and they had a lot of good things to say, Jesus was embarrassing them in, the, in debates. Jesus was embarrassing them in debates. So now they have a gripe against, against who Jesus is. And then lastly, you have the elders. The elders were going off this idea that, in the, this idea that listen, a lot of the, a lot of the law that we get, we, the, the old tradition that we've given, God considers that to be law. Well, that wasn't always true. All right. And so what, what is happening now is that God, I mean, is that what they're having to do is they're having to answer for their disobedience. They're having to answer for their disobedience. You see, when we, when we look at this idea of church, do we see church members, what, when, we, when we come to church, when we, when we look at this idea of obedience, do we find ourselves um, do we find ourselves in a place where we see church as this thing that we go to on Sundays in an attempt to cover up what we're doing? You see, because although they were part of church, they weren't actually actively being obedient to what God was saying. Okay. Is everybody still with me? And if not, catch up, please. I'm trying to get there. I promise I'm going to get it right. All right. So they were, they were trying to basically act like they were still doing everything right. However, Jesus had found them out. Jesus was established that what they were doing was wrong. And so not only that, are, they in a, are you in an attempt going to church to think that you're going to cover up all the things that you're doing? And do we go to church in order to maintain a reputation or to worship and glorify God? Because ultimately, that should be what we do. We go to church to glorify God. But if we go to maintain a reputation or if we go to wear our mask, then that doesn't do us any good. We're not being obedient to God's word. In fact, imagine this. Imagine if after church, I go get in my car, I go down to Krispy Kreme or I go down to the Donut Palace and I say, I want a half dozen glaze, right? Keep in mind, it's just for me. There's nobody else. It's just me. I'm going to eat it all by myself, okay? That's shameful, but that's true, right? But then I say to myself, but then I normally say, do I want a half dozen donuts? But then I say, you know what? Because I want to balance out this thing and I don't want to make sure that I'm not going too far away. Give me a Diet Coke, <laughs> Right? I want, to make sure that I'm, I want to make sure that, listen, I'm going to swing all the way out of here, but I need my diet coat to kind of balance back so it's not a terrible diet, right? Well, here's the reality, guys. Does the diet coat cancel out the negatives associated with the, with the non-nutritional sugar-coated donut? No, right? But some of Christians think that if you do diet church on Sunday, that it'll cancel all the sinful living and all the things that we do from Monday to Saturday. And see, God is calling us to obedience. And so the principle here is this. Church attendance alone does not equal right standing with God. He wants us to be present and active in change. He wants to be pre present and active in change. Not only that, obedience is the friend of authority. You see, they go hand in hand. For us to, be, for us to believe that God is the true authority of our lives, we will have to model obedience that reflects that position. Not only that, 
When we look at this story, as, we're, as we go along, we looked in 29, we see where Jesus asked this question about when, when Jesus says, listen, hey, you want this question about authority, but here's what I'm going to ask you. I want you to answer me first, and then I'll tell you on whose authority I come from. And so he lays this question out. He says, on who, who um, what was the baptism of John? Was the baptism of John from heaven or was it from men? Answer me. Well, when you look at this question, you see that as they make this agreement, they don't understand that now they're really about to get caught up. You see, Jesus was asking them a question that he knew the answer to, but he wanted to see if they would actually be honest about what they knew and what they did not. You see, because why would he take it back all the way back to John the Baptist? Well, here's why. Because when it came to John the Baptist, number one, the people thought that John the Baptist was, was a prophet sent from God. But guess who didn't think that? The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they rejected him. And so what he was essentially asking them is he said, listen, if you figure out, you tell me where John's come from, is his director come from heaven or from men? Well, here's the trap door. If they answer from heaven, well, then they're oh, John came from heaven and we rejected him. All right, is everybody following that? But then if he says, well, then if John was called by men, well the, well, the crowd would get upset because the crowd believed that he was from God. So either way, they were going to start a riot, and, he, and they knew that. You see, the other thing, you see, the reason why he was getting them caught up because he knew that the Pharisees and the chief scribes and the priests and the elders were people pleasers. They were people pleasers. And so what that stands for is this, not only where does authority demand obedience, but authority also demands consistency, consistency. You see, when they, looked at the, when they looked at the crowd, all they kept thinking was, I need to keep my checks going. I need to keep put up the rules because we have to keep worship. We have to keep this rules of like, yeah, we're following God, but yet, and still we're making the money on the side. Or in the end, we're still serving our idols. But Jesus was trying to get them to see, listen, if you're going to answer, answer the same way across the board. He was putting them in the place where they had to answer. Now, not only that, in short, Jesus wanted to demand the consistency from them, but their answer would have to be something, would have to be, I mean, if they had kept themselves honest, this question would have been a lot easier. But because they were back and forth and they waffled back and forth, there was no consistency, and so they couldn't get to the heart of the matter. Not only that, they were clinging, they were attempting to cling to the idols in their lives. You see, the idols that we, the principle here is this, the idols make God worship inconsistent. He desires all of your attention. You see, the chief scribes, I mean, the, the chief priests, their idol was money. And so that's, and that, so that was their way of continuing to worship. For the scribes, it was people knowing how great they were and how much they knew. For the elders, it was holding on to the traditions that they knew. The question becomes, what stops you from consistently worshiping God? What stops you from consistently worshiping God? You see, just like you desire faithfulness from him, from God, God wants consistency from you. You see, we can't go back and forth and hope that God still works out things on our behalf in that sense. In fact, let me give you a scenario. Suppose a person, suppose you're a person at work and you went to your boss, you said, boss, I know that I've been doing a sloppy job, but the reason I've been doing a sloppy job is because you haven't given me enough, I mean, you haven't given me a promotion. I would promote, I would mean, I would mean, if you would promote me, I wouldn't do a sloppy job. 
So I tell you what you do, Mr. Boss. If you give me a promotion, and then you'll see how well I can really work. Would you think that would happen? No. You know why? Because not only would that person not answer that, but you'd be in the unemployment line looking for another job. You see, sometimes Christians many times want to give God the slop and then ask God for his blessings on top of that. But it doesn't work like that. God wants your faithful, consistent people, people he can count on. You see, as we look at, as we, as we look at this idea, we see that one of the things that we have to work with as people is learning how to be consistent at things. You know, in our world, we make a lot of excuses for why we shouldn't do things, right? We make excuses to be late for stuff. We make excuses to do all sorts of things, right? But it's all for our benefit. But now, here's the reality. You know, I used to think that, I used to think that when my parents made me get up on time all the time, I thought that was because they just had some sick, twisted way of keeping us under their thumb. I really did. And so then I come to find out that my mom and dad, they were getting me ready for the real world. You got to get up at some point. You got to go, to go to work. You got to do stuff, right? All the things that you're doing now is preparing you for the next part of your lives. So whether you're looking for a mate, right, God's preparing you right now to be consistent because when you, be, when you find somebody, you're not all of a sudden going to become consistent. Amen? Oh, good Lord. All right. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, also, when God prepares you, whether, whether it's God preparing you for the job force, right? Let me tell you something that, let me, let me tell you something. This may be a small thing, but I think it's something that says a lot about who we are, you know? You know, as people, sometimes we have a hard time paying attention, right? Well, one of the natural things that we do that we, we don't want to pay attention, and, I'll, and, I, and to be more specific, let's put this in church terms. A lot of times we find ourselves not paying attention, but then we fall asleep, right? We fall asleep. You know, falling asleep in church is kind of a telling sign yeah, maybe you were tired. Maybe something happened. Okay, let's give you a pass on that. But what if you fall asleep all the time, right? You know, what does that say about you? What does that say about who you are? What does it say that you would rather take out your phone and look and scroll through something during the message and then, or you, would, you could spend your time binging and watching whole episodes on, I mean, watching whole series on Netflix, but you can't pay attention to, for 30, 40 minutes, Right? That says a lot about who you are more than it says about me. Well, although it may say something about me, and we can talk about that probably. Don't say that in front of me, in front of everybody. But, um, but yeah, but you have to understand, guys, that God does require some bit of consistency out of us, guys. You see, here's the thing. You want a consistent walk with God, you got to start reading. You got to start praying. You got to start acting out the stuff. You see, here's the thing. One of the best things you've, I've learned, well, or at least I should say, was reiterated during our Conquer series. And so if you haven't been a part of that, whether it's man or woman, please find a way to be a part of that. But here's one of the things that I've learned more than anything. You see, stuff doesn't just happen. Stuff doesn't just happen. We go, I have this problem. Well, I'll just do more and I'll try harder and it'll get better. But here's the reality, right? We need a mind change. We need our, we, we need our nature to change so that we're able to accomplish what we're, what we're trying to seek, right? Because sometimes trying harder just doesn't work. You know why? Because we're wired in a certain way. And so we have to break the patterns so that we're able to make new, new ways of being consistent. Amen? And so being consistent is something that we all need to work on and work on fervently so that we're able to not only make ourselves better, but make it, set an example for those around us so that they'd be better. You see, as Jesus was asking this question, so Jesus asked this question, going back to the chapter in the verses now, Jesus asked this question in 
they basically give this non-response. They say, well, if we say it's, if we say it's heaven, then they're going to ask, why didn't you believe it? Like, because John came on behalf of God, and we can't admit that because then that would put us over the barrel. Because then we have to admit that Jesus was also sent on behalf of God. Well, then they say, well, we can't say men because if we say men, men are going to get mad because they believe that was God was from, I mean, Jesus was from God and John was from God, so we can't go that way. So instead, we'll just give a non-answer. We'll just give a non-answer. We'll say, nope, we don't know, right? And so that's what happens in verse 33. They give a non-answer. They said, listen, we, they say, from men, you know, I'm sorry, in verse 33, they say, yeah, answering Jesus said, they said, we do not know. We do not know. Well, here's the problem. The problem is they knew they had an answer. They didn't want to answer because the answer would reveal the truth about who they were. And so that brings me to the third thing. Not only, do you, not only does authority demand obedience, not only does authority, not only does authority demand, oh my gosh, um, gosh, huh? Consistency, thank you guys, I'm sorry, this is a bad day. Um, consistency, but it also demands truth. Truth, okay? You see, the problem was that, the problem was that in their answer, in their no answer, what they were worried about was not what was right or what was true. They're worried about what is safe. What's safe? What keeps us from having to get in trouble? Let me stop right there for just a moment. Um, whether you're in relationships or whether you have, whether you're in fr- we have friends or whatever the case may be, whether you have believers who you, who you build up or, or work to build you up, here's one thing you have to remember, guys. There are times when not telling the truth can hurt a person. Sometimes not answering is as hurtful as answering as harsh as they think that is. Let me tell you why. Because what you do is you enable a person to not, you'll enable a person in such a way where they're not able to actually deal with the things that they need to be dealing with. Okay? Now here's the thing. Is there something wrong with telling people the truth? No, it's not, right? And of course we want to do that in love, right? But now one thing we don't want to do is have the truth, hold on to it, <clears throat> <clears throat> have the truth, hold on to it, and never tell the person where, where they're falling short. That's disastrous. Listen, one of the things I learned that's big in marriage is this, communication. No matter how much, no matter how much stuff I do in marriage, it usually always comes back to communication, right? Sometimes it's the thing that I don't tell my spouse that get me in the most trouble. Not because I was withholding for, for you know, for any you know, reason, it's just, I may have forgotten. You know, something may have happened, but guess what? That hurts my spouse more than anything because then it becomes a trust issue, right? Well, then there are times, and you know, the other way around is that, listen, you have to be able to share the truth and pray that the Lord will use the Holy Spirit to guide them as far as they need to go, amen? Now, of course, I'm not talking about just, lay, like, I'm not talking about just scorch the earth, right? However, you need to be able to share with somebody when, when the time is appropriate. And here's the problem. Because they gave a non-answer, they basically told on themselves that they were not ready to change. They were not ready to change. And so what they were saying, and so not only that, what they were trying to do was get an answer out of Jesus. And Jesus was like, you know what? There's no, there won't be any, it won't make any sense for me to even go even farther and explain my authority because you didn't even believe that when we sent John, John was from God. So when, when I come, it doesn't make any sense for me to go through the motions to tell you that I came from God because you didn't believe the first one who was sent and said, because remember when John came, right, John looked at Jesus and said, listen, 
he's from God. And the people were like, oh, he's from God. But the chief scribes and the priests said, no, we don't buy that. We don't buy it. And so we have to be in the mode of making sure that we're using truth. And so we know that one of the most famous places where we can find out information about what it means to, what the importance of truth is in Ephesians chapter 6, where it tells us about the armor of God. One of the first things that it mentions is that when we put on the armor of God is that we put on the belt of truth, right? The belt of truth. Now, the importance of the belt of, the belt of truth is this. It's the very first thing they put on. It holds all the battle. It helps to hold all the battle armor and the survival things. I mean, things for survival needed to go through um, spiritual, I mean, to go through warfare. And in this case, spiritual warfare. So here's the thing. The truth is the basis for everything that we do. You see, without truth, there is no life, right? Jesus tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It also says that truth holds together knowledge, right? So when somebody isn't telling you about all these different things that are facts, that are true, or what opinions are, what you have to do is filter that knowledge through what is the truth. Not only that, truth is, the, truth is also so sturdy that no matter what situation you encounter, it'll always support and equip you, all right? Because think about it, when something goes against the truth, the truth is always going to be the thing that wins out, right? The truth is always the thing that wins out. And so the principle there is this, without truth, your character becomes suspect. Without truth, your character becomes suspect. You see, there's a good reason, here's another principle, there's a good reason a lot of times when God does not teach us new truth, it's because we've rejected the truth that he's already revealed to us. There are some of us who struggle with the same truth over and over and over again, well, it's because we haven't gotten it yet. And so God is not in the mode of giving you this knowledge and just saying, okay, progress to the next level. It's this idea that not only do you need to hear it, but you need to get it in your soul and apply it. You know, one of the things that I get, one of the things I get slack for is um, in youth group is I've been told, and I, I hope I'm not, I hope it's not true, but it may be true because they said it. They said I'm repetitive. I'm repetitive. I'll take that if that's true. But now here's the thing. You know the reason why people are repetitive? Because we don't always get stuff the first time, right? Think about it. The lessons that you, the, the lessons that somebody verbally told you don't always stick, right? But the lessons that somebody verbally told you, then you lived it, those are the lessons that stick with you, don't they, right? This is a story I tell all the time. And I, I may have told it in, this, in the pulpit, but let me tell it one more time. So my son, my son of course, RJ, he's like, a, he's like an energy drink and skin. And so, you know, what happens is this. There's this point where he has, he likes to have these little tantrums and fall out, right? Well, if you've been to my house, I have hardwood floors and we have concrete foundation. So no matter how you equal that up, when you fall, it's going to hurt, right? Well, one day he got upset because I said no to something. Well, then he decided he would fall out. Well, then, as I realized he was falling out, I wanted to go try to catch him, but it was too late. He hit his head on the, on the, on the um, hardwood floor, which is on the concrete foundation, right? Well, then he cried. I picked him up. I consoled him. I'm, you know, I'm sorry because now I feel bad because he, he failed out to some degree and I didn't, couldn't be able to catch him. But then here's what happened. The next time I said no to something and he flailed out, he, he flung himself back. He landed on the ground and then he eased his head <laughs> onto the wood floor. You see, because here's the reality. There are times when we need to learn the lesson the hard way. And sometimes we don't always learn truth through basic means. So sometimes we have to learn the lesson 
repetitively until we get it. That's why people repeat stuff all the time. That's why stuff is on websites. That's why people text people about, you know, all these different things. We have to learn. We, we, we're repetitive for the sake of people learning it and getting it deep down in their souls. Now, here's the reality. When, when it comes to authority, once again, their authority, in fact, Jesus' authority, God's authority, if we are going to be able to respond to God in the right way with the right character, number one, we have to be authority demands obedience. There is no way to answer to God's authority without us being obedient. Number two, there's no way to do it without being consistent in doing so. And number three, there's no way to do that without the truth. But now what happens after, after Jesus asked this question and then they give a non-answer and Jesus says, well, listen, I won't tell you about the authority on which I come. Jesus goes into a parable. It's in chapter 12. I'm going to summarize it for the sake of time. You see, Jesus tells the story about, about, this, about the vine growers. And, and you can go back and read it. It's verses 1 through 11. But in this parable, what happens is this. There is a master who has a vineyard. He grows these vines. He's, he's grow, hoping to get produce out of them. But he hires other workers who he who allows to live and rent out in the vineyard. Okay? Everybody follow me? Well, here's the thing. The whole idea behind him doing this is that as he rents it out, their job is to essentially take some of the, the, some of the produce or some of the crop and give it back to the master because he has the authority and he has ownership of the vineyard. Well, here's the thing. When time comes, which is probably about a few years, he sends, a, he sends some servants to go to the vineyard to collect what is some of his yield because it's his vineyard. Well, the servants see the person and they, and they decide, you know what, we're not going to give him anything. And so not only that, they reject him. Well, then another group comes. The master sends another group, right? Well, then when he sends another group, guess what they do? They reject him. Not only that, they reject him, but then they start beating him. Well, then in some place, as he, as he keeps sending, they kill some of them and send some away hurt, right? Well, then finally the master says to himself, well, you know what? Because they haven't given me, given me my yield, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son, because surely they will respect my son for who he is, Right? Well, guess what? When he sends his son, the workers who are in the vineyard say, you know what? He's the heir to the vineyard. If we get rid of him, then the vineyard is ours. Well, guess what? They decide to kill the son of the, the one who owns the vineyard. Well, now we have a problem because the rest of the parable goes on to say is that then there comes a point where the master has to step in. The master goes to the vineyard, disposes of the workers, and he has to hire new workers for the vineyard. And what, here's the thing what Jesus was getting at. The parable, the reason why he told this parable was because of this. You see, the vineyard that they were working at was Israel. God had assigned the workers, the chief priests, the scribes, all these people, to be tenders to the vineyard. But guess what? They had decided that they would not just go to God's church or go to God's temple and worship God, they decided they would take it and use it for their own, for their own means. And so guess what? There requires a, a reminder that there was an ownership and authority that the master had. And so the master has to get rid of them. In fact, Jesus asked that question, what do you think that the master should do with those who have done this thing? He says, destroy them. Get rid of them. And guess what? That was an indictment upon the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders who had stood against Jesus and who had stood against John the Baptist. The point of it is this. God, God is, has all the authority. He is the ultimate authority. 
not only that, not only is it the ultimate authority, at some point, regardless of how you feel, regardless of whether, listen, my hope is that we would all be producers in the vineyard, but at some point, God is going to reclaim and rework his vineyard the way he wants to. That may be with you, that may be without you. But my prayer is that, is that when God finds you in the vineyard working, that you give and you yield what is his to him because it's his. And so the reality of it is this. A lot of times we, as people, become spiritual renters. Now, I've learned over the years that when people rent stuff sometimes, they don't always treat it like they own it, right? Is that true? We don't treat, sometimes we don't treat things we rent like we own it, right? Because when we own it, we have a different mindset. Well, sometimes we treat God's blessings like that. God has us in this place where he's trying to work on us. He gives us things to, that will benefit us, and we just take it for granted. Well, then we, and then when he takes it, we're mad. But in reality, what should be happening is that when he takes it, it's, a, it's an indictment on who we are, right? You see, because one day Jesus is going to come back. Not only is he going to come back, he's going to come. I'm sorry, you can stand now. When he comes back, he's going to come back and he's going to reclaim what is rightfully his. My prayer is that that's you. My prayer is that for all of you who are in here, whether you're sitting or standing, that you are Jesus's. Because, listen, the master will come back. He, listen, he has never lost authority. He never will. But listen, there will be a point where he comes back and he straightens out the mess that we've created. And my hope is that when he comes back, that you're on his side, that you're one of the servants who has been producing in the vineyard, who is giving his yield, his worship to Jesus, and not the other way around. I hope you're not the person who is going into being, renting out the blessing, using it for all it's worth, and in the end, you still don't give the master what is his because it's his property and his ownership. You see, the, God wants us all to experience the, 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 the completeness of blessings. But to do that, you have to learn how to follow authority. Some of you may be in this room. You may have a problem with the person who leads your family. You may, have a problem with the per well, you may have a problem with the parent who leads your family. You may have a problem with somebody who leads in some type of capacity, right? But here's the reality. People are given authority. Now, of course, we're not perfect people. But listen, at some point, God asks all of us ultimately to answer to him. But God has, putting, God has put these symbolic measures of authority in front of us as a measure of respect towards him. Because here's the reality. God placed you in a family to be led, all right? Or God puts you in a place to lead a family but still be, and still have covering. You see, that's the reality. And if we're going to respond to God in complete and total submission, we have to do it, we have to do it in such a way that yields to his authority because guess what? His authority demands that we're obedient to him. His authority demands that we're consistent in our behavior and his authority demands that we speak the truth. Dear Lord, Thank you for this time we've had. God, I pray that you would make sense out of all the things that I said. And God, I pray that there were nuggets, principles, something that people can cling on to, God, and know the God that there is hope. God, I pray, God, that as we, as we continue to live this life, God, that we will look at authority not as, a, not as a stumbling block, not as a thorn in our flesh, God, but we see it as a blessing. And God, we know that, God, if we trust in you, the ultimate authority, God, that ultimately we will experience the best, the best blessing ever, which is total submission and total worship of you, God, because you are the reason why we live and breathe. 
Lord, I pray that for anyone, God, who is struggling right now, whether it's with your authority and knowing you, whether it's with those in their family, God, whether it's anyone else, God, who they have, they're experiencing trouble with authority, God, I pray they would submit it to you and allow you to work in their lives, God. And God, you tell us throughout your word, God, that whether we work or love or whatever we do, we do it as if we're doing it to you, God. That is what you call us to do. And let us do that, not for, our own, not for just our sake, God, but for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.